Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church, where we believe faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all God's children. Our faith journey this morning leads us to the third Sunday of Lent. We're happy that you have decided to join us for this virtual live stream service. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we serve as your interim pastoral team. Joining us in leading worship this morning, we have Dr. Julia Brown, our Director of Music, our cantors, Abby Brooks, Jana DeShane, and Scott Bosher. We also welcome our Stations of the Cross family, Christian and Virginia Trost. As always, we are so grateful for Pat McGuire, our live stream specialist who makes all of this possible. In this season of Lent, we have all kinds of opportunities for you to get involved. First, as part of our phased reopening plan for the church, we have opened this sanctuary for an hour twice per week, Tuesdays at noon and Fridays at 10, and it's a chance for you to be in this sacred space for silent prayer and meditation. Second, we have launched our church-wide Bible reading program called Immerse. We are reading a version of the New Testament called Messiah. You are always welcome to join us Wednesdays at noon for our Zoom discussion, which is very lively. So contact the church if you'd like to pick up a book or learn more about this program. And finally, during Lent, we are offering a virtual Lenten music and meditation experience that's called Art Song in the Atrium. Beautiful music, art, and devotional materials can be found on our website, and our YouTube channel. To share more about music at Mayflower, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown. Today I'd like to highlight two things about the music at the worship service. First, uh, you heard the prelude this morning, an, an organ arrangement on the German chorale, Jesu meine Freude, or Jesus' Priceless Treasure. That is our middle hymn, and that melody will, will be recurring throughout the service. So you'll hear that at the end of Jonathan's meditation, and you'll hear snippets of it during our communion. And um, it is just one of those beautiful traditional melodies with so much wonderful organ music based on it. The other... Uh, piece that I want to highlight is the offertory. We have a trio this morning singing uh, In This Very Room by Ron Harris. It's a contemporary song uh, in a beautiful setting with piano accompaniment. Um, And it is a reminder of the presence of the divine everywhere, anywhere, even in this room, in the room where you are right now. And what I love about those words uh, that Ron wrote is that they begin with, in this very room, there's enough love for one like me. And then verse 2, the same words except in this very room, there's enough love for all of us. And the third verse, in this very room, there's love for the whole world. Thank you, Julia. Please note that we have a special outreach project that's concluding this week. 
We're honored to partner with Safe Haven Ministries as they work to end domestic violence. Unfortunately, domestic violence has increased during the pandemic as women and children are often stuck at home with their abusers. Thankfully, Safe Haven operates an emergency safe shelter for families in need, and in that shelter is a food pantry where mothers and their kids can gather the supplies they need to make a meal together and have really special family time. So we've committed to filling this pantry, and we're collecting the needed items by this Friday. You can check our website for the pantry list, and feel free to drop off items anytime here at the church between 9 and 2. Thank you. I'd like to introduce Jonathan White with a special announcement. It is my sad duty this morning to report on one of the members of our congregation and a dear friend of many years. I just talked with the younger Joel Boyden. His mother, Jean, has a brain tumor that is going to lead to her death probably this week. Joel asks that you hold the Boydens in prayer as Jackie, Kate, and Dorothy come up to join their mother. I ask you, please pray for Jean Boyden. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. And now we turn to our Lenten liturgy. We've placed seven candles on the altar, one for each Sunday in Lent and one for Good Friday. And each week we're going to begin with one less candle lit so that we can anticipate on Easter Sunday all of the darkened candles will be relit in celebration of Christ's resurrection. We're entering this holy time, and as the candles slowly fade, and the darkness deepens, we're retelling the story of Jesus' betrayal and suffering and death. We're also using the Stations of the Cross in our Lenten liturgy this year. So the stations are representations of the path Jesus bore on his way to the crucifixion. They involve Jesus enduring suffering as well as moments of support, and they relay the intense sacrifice that we, as Christians, believe Jesus undertook for the salvation of all humanity. So now we will proceed to our third station of the cross. The third station. Jesus falls for the first time. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Jesus, there are times when we fail to be attentive to our families like you want us to be. Sometimes, as parents, we think all we have to do is earn money and keep the ship sailing, and as a result, ignore our obligation to be emotionally close to our families. When, as parents, we fail to take time to share our feelings and listen to our children, we fall down. Jesus, help us get up 
when we fall. Jesus, the love you taught and lived out shows us forgiveness. We want to learn from you how to forgive each other. When any of us makes mistakes or bad choices, we want those around us to forgive, help us up, and continue on together as we live towards Calvary. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Please pray with me. O oh God, the heavens are telling of your glory and the firmament proclaiming your handiwork, and we are in awe. Help us to hold this reality with the reality that you traveled with your cross down a lonely and troubled path. You are the Lord of all creation, and you are a Savior who has led to suffering and death. We give you our hearts today and ask for you to shape them into your image. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
Our first scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4 and 7 through 8. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy One, open our minds to understand. Holy One, help us to be comfortable in mystery. Holy One, let us feel your spirit. In the name of the Christ, amen. Isn't it nice to have a religion where we know we're absolutely right? Of all the denominations in Christianity, of all the religions in the world, of all the people who are agnostic or atheist, we know we have it right. And that's a comfort. Just like two plus two equals four. You can bank on that. Just like all life needs oxygen, we know that's true. Just like if you have a solid wall, the only way to get through that wall is to meet it with a great force or to use mass, which will move that wall aside. Those are truths. Those are things we can take to the bank. Those are things we can believe in. That's real, and we know it. Comfort. Except two plus two in a binary system equals one, zero, zero. Except when God created life on the early earth, little microbes, there was no oxygen. And they ingested and processed arsenic. As oxygen grew in our atmosphere, the poisonous oxygen killed off the life forms and created new ones. And if we look inside the particles of a solid wall, what we see when we get down to the basic interstructure 
of the atom are elements that, relatively speaking, are so far apart that on the scale of our solar system, they outdistance the sun from the planets. Maybe it's not as simple as we think. Leon Letterman, Nobel laureate and great physicist, the late Leon Letterman said, the assurity of Newtonian physics has been lost in the modern age to the fuzzy math of Werner Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Even science defers. Most of us know a scientist. We call that scientist doctor, the physician. But physicians don't always have the answer. Letterman says physicians have to defer to biologists. When biologists don't have the answer, they defer to chemists. When chemists don't have the answer, they defer to physicists. When physicists don't have the answer, they defer to mathematicians. And when mathematicians don't have the answer, they defer to God. In reality, we live in the tension between absolute uncertainty and absolute certainty. There's always a tension as we flow within those boundaries. We try to orient ourselves. We try to develop formulas and rules and laws that make things work. But those laws need to be flexible because as soon as we're convinced we understand the absolute, we absolutely understand nothing. We just heard Ruth read selections from Psalm 19. And you could get the gist of the entire psalm by those few verses. The psalmist starts out praising God for this beautiful creation. All of the wondrous things that we see. The setting sun on Lake Michigan. The promise of spring as we look outside today. Your baby's eyes, when the baby looks at you, those wonderful elements of creation. And then the psalmist shifts, not subtly, by the way, from all the wonder of creation to the law. And the psalmist praises the law. God, your law is wonderful. Your law is a gift. It tells us how to live in the tension between certainty and uncertainty. Now, there are two ways to look at the law. One is to look at, in cliche form, a le- the letter. The letter says, this is what's real. 
This is what you can believe. This is what you can take to the bank. But the law doesn't apply in all situations the same way. And another cliche, the spirit of the law. We're moving between certainty and uncertainty. And we need to figure out where and how to apply the law so that we're following the will of God. Commentary on the Hebrew part of the Bible, which Hebrews simply call the Bible, leaving out our New Testament. Commentary comes from rabbis through a series of works called the Midrash, and they comment on different stories to help us understand it. One of the things that they do is talk about the law, and they have a wonderful little story. It goes something like this. The rabbis were having a debate. If you build an oven and the oven has impure elements in it and you break bake bread, is the bread impure? And they got together and they debated this. While they were debating, an angel came. I'm an angel from the Lord our God. The bread is pure. The rabbis, thank you. And they continued their debate, and then they voted it's impure. At that point, there's writing in the sky. And it says, the bread is pure. The rabbis decided to take another vote. And they concluded... The bread is impure. At this point, there's a voice from heaven that says, The bread is pure. The rabbis meet again. And they come to this conclusion. Angels writing in the sky and a voice from heaven are important. But the votes of rabbis are binding. We stick to the letter, sometimes we miss the point. Paul was writing about that to the Corinthians. Biblical scholars will tell us that our book of 1 Corinthians is a hodgepodge of more than one letter. We know that there's trouble at the church in Corinth. We can assume that there are Jews in Corinth. And there are Greeks. There are Roman citizens. We know from Paul's writing that there are rich and poor. And they're having debates. They're having divisions. They're a church in trouble. And Paul writes to tell them, look, you're not following the rules of wealth and power, the rules of the Greeks. You're not looking or a sign from God. You're not following just the rules of Jews. There's a new rule, and that is the cross, and that is complete humility. What does Paul mean when he talks about complete humility in this instrument of death, this instrument of Roman execution? To answer that, I turn to 
one of my favorite books from one of my favorite professors, Paul Meyer, the book First Easter. Dr. Meyer explains that the cross is a humiliating way for anyone to die in the Roman Empire. First of all, you were stripped of all dignity, including your clothes. You are beaten, frequently tortured, and paraded to the execution ground, naked. And then, with this beam that you have, you're thrown to the ground and forcibly nailed onto that beam as it's hoisted up to a post and placed on what will become the cross. There's nothing you can do. You are stretched out. Many times, and according to the Bible, they nailed feet to the cross too. Depended on how long they wanted the person to suffer. You can't move your hands to handle any pain. You can hardly breathe. Gravity keeps pulling you down. You have to try to come back up to get a breath. And your only relief comes when you go down for the last time and you have your last breath. It is not a comforting way to die, Dr. Meyer concluded. It is a humiliating way to die. You are completely alone. You are lost. You are suffering, and there is no comfort. Paul says that the cross is emblematic of what today we call Christianity. It's the cross where Christ, the third person of the Trinity, is physically crucified. And rather than resisting, shows us a new way. It's the cross where we're completely humiliated that we see God. N.T. Wright says, do you want to know what God looks like? Look at the cross. That's what Paul is trying to get across. Humility is not a Roman virtue. Romans wanted power and wealth and prestige. Humility wasn't always a Jewish virtue. They wanted rules, regulations, and signs. Paul says, no, look to the cross. Jerry Sumney, professor of Bible at Lexington Theological Seminary, put it like this. He said, what Paul is trying to get across is first of all, there's complete humility in that cross. It is a God who suffers. It is a God who looks out on His creation and identifies with the creation and will sacrifice the divine self 
for that creation. For all creation. And somebody comes to another conclusion. He said, second, when we see the suffering on the cross, we can see the suffering in our own lives. The empathy for the cross is our experiences as as suffering. When we know, as we look out, we see other people suffering. And when we see others suffering and can identify with them, we're seeing through the eyes of God. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's not a rule that applies everywhere in every situation. It is a spirit. And as Jesus falls carrying that beam to his execution, we know from some biblical evidence and we can assume from other Roman practices that he has been tortured, that he is being taunted, that he is suffering, that he is standing in front of fellow Jews where nakedness is a horrible humiliation. He's paraded through the street and falls trying to carry that beam. Paul invited the Corinthians and by metaphor invites us to come to that beam to come to that cross. Because in that cross, there is enough love for this church. In that cross, there is enough love for you. In that cross, in that crucified God, There is enough love, not only for this room, but for all creation. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We come now to offer our gifts and to share in the joy of what it means to be part of the ministry of Mayflower Church. Thank you for your generosity.
We come to this table not because we must, because we are invited. We come to this table to experience the resurrected Christ. We come to this table because, as Paul says in the 8th chapter of Romans, all creation is groaning and longing for salvation. We come to this table because salvation has come as a mystery, as something we cannot fully understand, as unbridled love. So come to this table. Come to the feast of God for the people of God. Come from the east and come from the west. Woman or man, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, come to this table for all is ready. to being, all the ends of the earth and the far corners of the universe sing your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes to take up his cross though he falls. Hosanna in the highest. You are holy, God of Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is blessed forever. When he could have stumbled over our distrust, he called us to follow him into your promises. When our rejection could have weakened his faith, he grew strong in his commitment to deny himself. When he could have remained silent, he declared your salvation to all, even to those not yet alive. When he could have hidden his face in fear, he turned toward Jerusalem, going to his death and into the grave, that you might give life to all who died to sin. And now, O oh Lord, hear us proclaim the mystery of faith. your reign of glory, O Lord. Come now with your Holy Spirit and anoint these gifts of bread and wine. Refresh us 
with the spirit of the risen Christ so that we may be one people in this one bread, one body, and one Lord of all. Amen. and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ministering to you in the name of Christ, we share the bread. Then he took the cup and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. This cup is the new covenant between God and the people of the Lord, an agreement confirmed by my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you, ministering to you in the name of Christ. We share this cup. Let us give thanks. With gratitude in our hearts, we remember the sacrifice, and we thank you, Lord, that you have refreshed us at this table. As we remember Jesus falling on the road to Calvary, we believe that when we are brought home to you, when we are gathered with our sisters and brothers from all ends of the earth, we will sing your glory and grace forever. God in community, holy in one. Amen. Thank you. 
Thank you, Abby, and thank you, Julia. That was a congregational hymn written in the early part of the 20th century by a congregational pastor. Friends, sometimes it's hard to know what we should do. Sometimes it's difficult to take the next step. But that's why we have the law. The law is embodied by the cross. And the cross gives us the love and the humility to live in the tension between certainty and uncertainty. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.